This is Chicago's all-news station. News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Great to have you with us for the Monday edition of the Noon Business Hour. I'm Cisco Cotto. The Noon Business Hour is presented by the Village of Bedford Park. It's Stock Picker Monday. Chicago's thriving Fulton Market neighborhood is being eyed as a potential site for a commuter train station. We'll cover that in our next segment. Right now, the coming week will include the latest numbers on consumer spending and inflation, plus an update on manufacturing. Joining us now, Greg McBride, Chief Financial Analyst at bankrate.com. Uh, Greg, let's begin with durable goods. These orders rose. Tell us the significance of that. Yeah, I mean, the uh, headline number looked really good. Uh, but if you strip out aircraft and parts, uh, you know, it was a little bit you know, less impressive, still positive. Uh, and year over year, uh, durable goods are up almost 25%, even after you take out transportation still up almost 18% year over year, so still very strong. And that's an indicator of business investment, particularly on capital goods. When it comes to some of the data points that we have here, one of them coming out Wednesday, pending home sales, uh, that, that one seems to have been struggling a little bit as there's just still not the inventory out there. Yeah, you can't buy it if it's not for sale, right? And we did see, uh, you know, a, a, you know, almost a 2% decline in those pending home sales for July. Forecasts are we are going to see that bounce back a little bit when it comes out this week. But, you know, make no mistake, still a massive imbalance between uh, demand and supply in the housing market. We'll also get some insight on inflation this week. Uh, are, are, are we still trying to figure out whether this inflation is, as the Fed says, transitory or whether it may be here for a while? Well, I think now we're, we've moved on to what exactly is the definition of transitory, uh, because I think the reality is uh, even the feds acknowledge, yeah, it might be around a little bit longer than we had expected. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's going to be kind of have to kind of get used to <clears throat> some of these troubling in, inflation figures. <clears throat> Excuse me. And this week, it's the feds preferred leverage, the uh, uh, personal consumption expenditure index. That's the one that the fed really watches as opposed to the consumer price index, which, you know, the rest of us tend to watch. What are, are we to make over kind of this back and forth in Washington on the debt limit, uh, on, on different spending packages as, as those are being weighed? I mean, the way that those end up working out could make a significant impact on the economy. Well, and, and how long it takes, I think, is also worth noting. We've seen, because unfortunately we seem to play this game with alarming regularity, but we've seen in cycles past that consumer and business confidence suffers during this wrangling that goes on up until the 11th hour. And so in previous episodes of this, we've seen that, you know, even if it's just short-lived, consumer and business spending does take a little bit of a dip. Uh, so, you know, this is not without economic costs. Thanks so much for all the analysis. That is Greg McBride. He is Chief Financial Analyst at Bankrate.com. Chicago's flourishing Fulton Market neighborhood could be getting another public transit option. Let's talk about it with Greg Hines, columnist at Crane's Chicago Business. Uh, Greg, looks like Metro wants to move in. Yeah, it does. Uh, actually, they're already there, Cisco. That's uh, that's the, uh, the irony of the thing. You have lots of Metro trains uh, that Dozens and dozens of day that go right by this booming district, but they don't stop there. They go over to uh, Union Station and uh, Ogilvy Transportation Center, and then people who uh, who work there have to get on a CTA or walk or take a cab or whatever and come back west. 
So the idea is, hey, let's uh, let's avoid that and make it more convenient and maybe build a stop right there somewhere. So that's one of the things that has is, is been interesting about seeing the traffic pattern there, as you're mentioning. Uh, when Fulton Market first started getting hot, everyone thought, oh, this is going to be people who live in the city, people who maybe live right there in that neighborhood. And yet you're still getting suburbanites who are coming down in order to work there. Oh, this area is, Cisco, you're right, this area is hotter than a pistol. Uh, McDonald's put its world headquarters there. Uh, McDonald's moved it from the suburbs. Uh, we had a story in Cranes last week about a big vendor for McDonald's has, uh, has, has uh, taken 100,000 square feet in an office building there. Google is there. A whole bunch of transfer of uh, tech companies are there. And ironically, one of the things that got them there is one about, people may not remember this, but 10, 15 years ago, former Mayor Emanuel uh, pushed through uh, a, a brand new uh, Green Line CTA station at the Morgan Street, which kind of opened that area up. Well, this metro stop would be kind of the next uh, the next step in that direction. Now, it looks like, uh, if I remember right from what I read in Cranes, Ashland is probably where this stop would go. No, no real announcement yet. Uh, but does this at all, I mean, slow things down? It's only one more stop, but every time Metra adds a stop, that seems to change up the train schedules at least a little bit for all the other commuters. Uh, it should, but uh, in this particular case, I would like to think that uh, that uh, people would put up with the inconvenience of uh, a minute or two to uh, to make it a lot easier for some of their co-riders to uh, to get to work. Uh, I would also think it might attract some additional workers. But you know, it's it's typical with government. It's going to take a while. Uh, this is tied into a much bigger uh, metro project where they're going to redesign some tracks and move some stuff around. So they're saying, well, maybe this could take ten years to actually get done. I'd like to think it could have happen a little quicker than that, but we'll see. Yeah, and you, you say it's tied into something else. Does that mean funding would not, ha they wouldn't have to go find it, that they could just, uh, you know, already get this done if they wanted to do it, or do they still need to figure out the funding? Uh, they need to figure out the funding, but the, the cost of building a station itself shouldn't be that much. And uh, Alderman uh, Walter Burnett, uh, who, whose ward covers that area, tells me that uh, some of the local businesses are so high on this, they'd offer to spring for part of the cost. There's also a TIF district in the neighborhood that could pay. Um, if people really want to do this and really want to do this in, in fairly rapid fashion, I think there's a way. Wondering, and I don't know if people use Metro this way or not, I'm just wondering, with all the really great restaurants that are in Fulton Market, people talk about the companies that are based there, but there's some great restaurants there. Do suburbanites take Metro downtown in order for that kind of activity? It would seem like maybe they drive where this wouldn't necessarily impact those nighttime spots. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. Uh, in, 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 mostly in part because uh, metros, at night metros may be an hour apart, and most folks after they finish the dinner, they want to go home and go to bed. They don't want to wait an hour for a train. Uh, but you never know. Um, uh, transportation, public transportation, using it's like anything else. Once you get used to it and you figure out it's convenient, uh, you tend to use it more. So we'll see. Yeah, that benefits the whole area for sure. Thank you so much, Greg Hines. He's a columnist. You read him online and in print. In Crane's Chicago business. Buy, sell, listen. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Facebook is reevaluating its plan to develop an Instagram app for children. We welcome Shelly Palmer back to the show, CEO of the Palmer Group, author of the new book, An Executive Guide to the World of Decentralized Finance. Uh, Shelly, uh, Facebook says it's reevaluating this. Does this mean they're just putting a pause on it? I mean, are we able to tell? Because obviously they want to launch this. I have no idea what Facebook is thinking. They put on a show this morning like the likes of which I've never seen. 
They've had research that says that Instagram is incredibly not good for young women, especially young women who have body image issues or have been bullied, and they know all about it. They've, they're working on a solution. They offered up a couple. First, they said, well, you know, we won't do our kids thing. It's like, first of all, there's no tween that's ever going to be on the tween-only version of Instagram, no matter what their intentions are. No one, no tween is going to want to be on something that no kid wants to be on a site that's for kids. That's first. Secondly, they, they're adding some features that they're, quote, working on over time. One is to nudge people. So if they're concentrating too much on, on something that would be upsetting them or Facebook's algorithm figures out that whatever you're looking at on Instagram is making you sad, they'll nudge you to something else. That's actually scarier than the, than the initial problem. What's worse, Cisco, and this one really got me, they're going to think about a <clears throat> pause button where you can leave Instagram for a little while and then come back and return right where you were rather than coming back later and being wherever the new new place that you would be in your news feed. So let me get this right. You're in the middle of something that's causing you immense pain. You hit the pause button. You're going to go away for two weeks, come back right to the place that was causing you pain. Like I, it's, it's insane on the face. I don't know what they're thinking. What we do know is that social media is incredibly harmful to young women and to actually a lot of people, and they are doing not anywhere near enough to address the real problem, which is this is built to engage you. The algorithm is trained with feedback from you to make you stay there, and the worse you feel about it, doesn't matter to them if it's hurting you doesn't matter to them as long as you press something to make money from yeah it's, it's not you know. like uh, hey we want you to stay here for things that make you happy it's, it's the ai goes no we just want you to stay here we don't care why it is exactly right and I, th this either gets fixed or they don't really have a reason to be in business i mean could you imagine hi our product's really harmful for you but you know we've we known about it for years but don't worry about it we're working on it what do you mean you're working on it? I, I didn't this morning's interview with adam azari who is the head of instagram was uh, was just it made my blood boil. I'm a father of three and a grandfather of three, and I have several uh, children in my world who are that age, the age where you really are impressionable. And no, this, this cannot be. Facebook really, they really blew this one. And I, I would demand an answer from Zuckerberg right now. I want to hear what Mark has to say. What are you going to do about this right now? This is a, not a PR disaster. This is a disaster. Yeah, and obviously Congress has been at them for quite a while. This will just give them more fodder for future congressional hearings. Thank you, Shelley Palmer, CEO of the Palmer Group. The Noon Business Hour is presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Jack Ablin is here, Chief Investment Officer at Crescent Capital here in Chicago. Jack, what do you make of what you're seeing on Wall Street today? Yeah, it's a mis mixed bag, Cisco. It's really driven by two things, higher interest rates and higher oil prices. So sort of a reopening trade, and that's why we're seeing the energy stocks, financials rising, while the tech sector and healthcare are falling. And so uh, how does this start this week, given the fact that last week started so rough? I, I guess a mildly mixed day isn't so bad. Not a bad thing at all. In fact, it's funny. I I tuned into uh, futures earlier this morning going, okay, it's going to be a kind of a quiet day, which is something I was looking forward to uh, having to do some other stuff. So, um, yeah, I think that um, this is part of a longer cycle. We're finally starting to see interest rates trend higher following the Fed and other central banks' interest in, in tightening. Um, and we saw the 10-year Treasury pop above 1.5%, which was kind of a psychological barrier. 
Uh, we were there earlier this year, but it had been trended lower than that. Um, we are since uh, since that time we're still below. We're I think about one forty seven. So I think a lot of traders are watching that level right now. When it comes to COVID and that's impact on traders, especially their mindset, uh, we're seeing cases start to kind of sort of plateau and go down again. Will Wall Street really believe we've turned a corner when it sees something like this, where it goes up and then goes back down, or do they need to see a prolonged change before they're going to feel like we're going to be back completely reopened? I think we're going to have to see um, more solid evidence uh, just beyond the tape um, to suggest that we are reopening. We had, um, you know, a um, good economic report this morning suggesting um, growth. But what we'd really like to see are um, the leisure and hospitality jobs being uh accepted and taken, um, a lot of the in-person work um, being uh, accepted and taken, and just some growth on that front uh, would, I think, reassure investors that um, you know, workers are, are willing and, and feel more comfortable um, with face-to-face -face uh, contacts again. So uh, reopening plays, certain sectors that people should be paying attention to? Yeah, so we um, we have uh, continued to emphasize value-oriented uh, investments. So that tends to be uh, things like the energy and the financials, uh, industrials, materials, even some consumer discretionary, um, largely because they're cheaper uh, and will benefit as uh, growth expands. Um, but we also focus on quality because if you look at uh, a lot of those sectors, there there are some companies that have so much debt that any higher interest rate, any higher cost of financing could really um, turn their businesses downward pretty quickly. So we do want to focus on quality. We do like the cyclicals and uh, and then even the dividend payers, uh, companies that have the wherewithal to uh, keep and maintain and perhaps grow a dividend, I think is uh, something investors should be taking a hard look at nowadays. And how does inflation play into all this? You mentioned dividend stocks, whether it's dividends paid out or, or even company earnings, inflation distorts that. It does. Um, inflation distorts it, but it's it also... Uh, uh, distorts the, the top line, but it impacts the bottom line as well. Um, so we're also pretty um, aware of companies that have uh, a lot of employees relative to the size of their business. Those companies uh, that are now paying upwards to you know, $16, $17 an hour um, will likely see their bottom lines uh, narrow a little bit. Uh, and that that hurts on the valuation side. So you do have to pay attention um, to pretty much every element of the uh, income statement uh, just to make sure you're um, you're right that the inflation just doesn't distort the top line. Thanks so much for all the analysis, Jack Ablin, Chief Investment Officer at Crescent Capital here in Chicago. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island. Jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.
Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of colors starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to level up your financial game? Let NerdWallet guide you with smart strategies for lasting success. Get savvy tax planning pointers to maximize your savings, money-saving travel tips for your next family getaway, and investing insights like how a 529 plan can help you send your kids to college. Unlock the key to saving to help you earn more money. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you in 2024. The only program dedicated to currency events. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. The price of oil just keeps climbing. It is back in the $75 range. It is up today nearly 2%. Some analysts believe we could hit $100 a barrel. Let's get some perspective from Phil Flynn, senior market analyst at Price Group here in Chicago. Phil, what do you make of this idea of $100 a barrel oil? Well, I don't think we're going to hit it this year, but it may be next year. And what we're seeing right now is a combination of very strong global demand, but years of underinvestment in the oil patch. You know, everybody was telling everybody we're going to quit using oil in a few years, and they've been discouraging investment around the globe. And so all of a sudden, when the demand came back faster than anticipated, uh, the oil is not there, and natural gas as well. That's another situation where supplies are tight, and these prices are just going through the roof. And going forward, I mean, if it goes up, you know, even if it's slowly but surely, that means it not only impacts the gas pump, but the whole wider economy. There's just so much that uses oil. It really does. You know, I mean, this is probably the closest we've been to an energy crisis since the 1970s. I mean, you have right now at this very moment, you have uh, rolling blackouts in China. You have Europe uh, with empty gas stations. Um, you have warnings uh, from the U.K. And, and from other parts of England that they might not have enough natural gas to keep, a, keep people warm throughout the winter. Uh, you know, and here in the United States, you've got prices soaring. So it really is uh, has the potential to increase inflation, cut down on corporate profits, uh, and at the end of the day, slow the economy. So it, it was an avoidable situation, but it looks like we're facing a, a crisis right now. Do you foresee, I mean, supply and demand, right, that as the prices go up, that you'll get the oil companies pulling more out of the ground and getting more to refiners? We are starting to see some uh, uptick in uh, production. We're seeing the uh, rig counts go up. Uh, but, you know, the thing is, is that we've told the industry for so long, you know, not to invest. So uh, I, I'm afraid they're going to act, but I think it's going to be not, it's going to be too little too late. You know, I think they're going to be playing catch up all year. And I think we're going to be paying for that at the pump, you know, in, in the near future. It, it certainly seems as though the uh, the wider culture is turning against oil, completely turning against fossil fuels. You're getting more companies divesting uh, its you know assets from oil companies, and yet the idea that we're going to get rid of oil, it just seems like if it ever happens, it's still a long, long way off. It really is, you know, and I, I use the example is you think you want a new house, so you burn down your old house before you build a new house, right? <laughs> you know, 
know. I, I mean, I think there's been a lot of people that have been such in such a rush, you know, to move towards fossil fuels and its alternatives and to demonize oil and gas. Well, you know, if you want to make a switch, that's fine. But I think you ought to do the transition more orderly. You know, right now it's been a mishmash of different government policies, and it's created a situation where, you know, we took oil and gas for granted. I'm afraid this winter we're not going to be able to take it for granted. Thanks so much for all the analysis. That is Phil Flynn, a senior market analyst with Price Group. It's Stock Picker Monday on the Noon Business Hour. Helping us out today, Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services, publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast Newsletter based in Hammond, also author of Winning with the Dow's Losers. Chuck, it's always good to get your insight. What's your first pick today? Well, Cisco, I went with two banks today. I like the banking group. We're seeing kind of a, a pop-up in interest rates, and that helps interest rate spreads. And uh, the first bank is J.P. Morgan. Trades for $167 a share. Uh, symbol is JPM. Again, it's it's really kind of the big blue chip in that space. And if you want banking exposure, it'd be hard pressed to do worse than uh, uh, to do better than JP Morgan. Uh, I like the dividend yields, two and a half percent. They just raised their dividend eleven percent uh, to a dollar per quarter. Uh, again, the interest rate spreads where you have interest rates popping up, and that that helps banks obviously if they can loan out at a little bit higher rates and, and get your deposit at lower rates. Uh, it's cheap stock, trades at 12 times its 2021 earnings estimate. And then finally, J.P. Morgan, uh, being the size that it is, is, is big in terms of the mergers and acquisitions financing. And there's a lot of deals going on out there now to try to beat uh, the year-end and proposed tax hikes for next year. So they're going to get a nice bump from M&A activity. So that's J.P. Morgan, $167 a share. Okay, J.P. Morgan, the first pick. What's your second pick? Also the banking sector. It is. And this is a, a smaller regional bank. It's Service First Bank Shares. The symbol is SFBS. It trades for about $80 per share. Service First is based in Birmingham, Alabama, and it's a, it's a pretty high growth banking uh, option. The earnings per share should be up about 20% this year. And I think they'll have record profits in, in next year as well. Again, they'll benefit from that improvement in their interest spread. Uh, the stock is not cheap at about 21 times its 2021 earnings estimates, but it's trading at that premium because of its growth potential. Dividend yield is about 1%. So it's a nice, solid regional bank uh, with good uh, stock price momentum. And uh, that service first bank shares, symbol SFBS, and our firm owns both of these as well as our clients. Well, while we have you here, Chuck, uh, what's the Dow theory telling us these days? Well, the last major signal under the Dow theory was a bull market signal. Uh, as I've mentioned a number of times, I'd like to see better performance out of the Dow Jones transportation average. And they've put together a string of two, three uh, pretty solid days. So I think uh, as long as they can kind of continue to do better, uh, and that'll be a function of the economy and, and investor perception in terms of economic growth. But if you see the transports performing better, That'll be a nice underpinning to the bullish primary trend under the Dow theory. Thanks so much. That's Chuck Carlson. He is CEO of Horizon Investment Services, publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast Newsletter. His two picks today, J.P. Morgan, ticker symbol JPM, and Service First Bank Shares, that is SFBS.